Welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast on all things related to human resources in veterinary medicine. Join me, Katie Ardeline, and my colleague, Mike Pownell, as we discuss how to support and take care of the people who are instrumental in making your business a success. Great businesses share one common feature. They focus on taking care of their employees. They create businesses where everyone feels empowered and motivated to be the best they can be. These businesses want highly engaged employees and they do whatever it takes to make this happen because they know that highly engaged employees lead to more growth, client loyalty, and profitability. Veterinary medicine is a challenging profession, but it can be made so much easier if we build business cultures that attract and retain the best people. Subscribe to Hire the Smile for great discussions on taking care of the people that make us all better. Hi, I am Mike Powell with Oculus Insights, and today I am really excited to discuss a subject that's really, really close to my heart within my own practice and a lot of what we recommend with Oculus Insights as well is the role of the registered veterinary technician uh, in Ontario, other jurisdictions in the world, this licensed veterinary technician, but it's the licensed or registered veterinary technician. And our special guest today is Kirstie Clarida. Uh, welcome, Kirstie. Hi, Mike. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. So your role, I know you're the head of the board. Well, you tell us about your role. you got a couple of roles, so. I do. I do. So I currently am the president of the OAVT, which is the Ontario Association of Veterinary Technicians. And that is the body that holds the regulatory oversight over RVTs, our, our registered veterinary techs. I also am in education. I've been teaching at Seneca College for the last 14 years, and I'm their current program coordinator of their veterinary technician program over there. And I love doing that. And I'm an RVT. It is my alumni program. So I'm RVT from the ground up. Everything Excellent. about it. Yeah. <laughs> So I always like to ask people who are really involved in their organization because it's a labor of love, it's a sacrifice. So I'm always curious because I, I love myself giving back to my own profession, but why are you so involved personally with the OAVT? Yeah, that's a great question. And to be 100% honest, I'm not sure I've been asked that so directly in a while, but I'll tell you what comes right to my heart. When I was achieving my own diploma and, and education, I was attracted to it because I loved animals. That was really what started it. But then I realized that it was challenging and I had a challenge and I faced my own ups and downs in achieving my diploma and my accreditation. And the more invested I became in my own profession and achieving my registered status, the more I saw the value of what the profession provides to the industry. They were kind of going hand in hand. And the more that I saw the need for that role, the more I wanted to be a part of that. And as the years went on, I had so much reward being a part of the association and being an RVT and my career just led me into so many different avenues. I really wanted to talk to uh, other RVTs and get them the same opportunities. And I, I felt like the best way to do that was to be involved at the board level or with the organization to help drive that for them and, and be a part of that conversation. So that keeps me there. And I, I love doing it. And you're right. It is a labor of love. It's a lot of time and mm -hmm. it's ups and downs, but I, I really am invested in seeing this career just really become so whole for, for other folks, not just the select few. So for people who are listening to this outside of Ontario and even veterinarians in Ontario, 
you have a bit of a unique scope of practice existing in Ontario right now compared to other jurisdictions. Perhaps you can just explain that. I think that's good background to what else we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, we are very unique. I guess the basic sentence is that we do not have a unique scope of practice specific to veterinary technicians. In Ontario, in the Veterinarians Act, the only professional that is listed to perform veterinary medicine are veterinarians, period, full stop. Anyone else is considered an auxiliary. And in 1993, there was a private member's bill passed called the OAVT Act. And that legislation allowed us to regulate individuals that had achieved advanced education in what it means to be a veterinary technician and veterinary technology in general. And through that act, our association was able to now regulate professionalism of these folks and was able to regulate their standards of care in relation to how they support veterinary medicine. But it didn't list the scope of practice specifically. It's about the professional and not necessarily the acts. And that leads us to different jurisdictions all across North America and even into other continents and to other jurisdictions. There are different relationships between what does the Veterinarians Act of that state or province describe as far as actions or professionals, and then who are involved in that act and what can they not do or can they do. And that brings us to where Ontario is headed. So in Ontario, we are now in a unique position through a really close collaboration with the College of Veterinarians to look at how far has veterinary medicine come since the last draft of the Vet Act? How far are we progressing in our service and our team approach? And we believe that there's a place now to update the Act to include a scope of tasks specific to, these are tasks that we see RVTs are skilled and have the depth and breadth of knowledge to perform safely. And we also acknowledge that in doing that, that this is a service to the team, to the veterinary team, supporting veterinarians, supporting clients, supporting their animals, and accepting the risk of performing those tasks. So that's where we're at now. Yeah. So I think the other thing too, and I just correct me if I'm wrong, is that because of your designation now, you're able to self-insure, you're able to carry some responsibility for the acts that you do, correct? Correct. And as of 1993, we have built in our bylaws that level of accountability that affords us that public protection piece. So should a veterinarian in the current landscape delegate something, say you've asked me to go and do something with a client's animal, and I perform that skill, but I don't perform it to the standards of veterinary medicine, should that be because of my behaviors? I also have my own regulatory body to answer to, and that would be the OABT. And then we do have professional insurance, and that's an association piece. Also, it gets a little confusing for Ontario because we're dual mandate, right? Right. So in Ontario, you've got the CVO, which is the college, and they are the public protection for the acts of service of veterinary medicine and the risk there. And then they have OVMA, and we have both parties under one hat. And that muddies the waters a little, but... So, yeah, you're talking about the last time the Veterinary Act in Ontario was revised was 1993, so almost 30 years when you think about it. How much this profession has changed in 10 years, let alone right. 30 years? And 
you know, as we're talking about this and we're still in the midst of this pandemic and how much this profession is changing even now. Yeah. In terms of the OAVT, what are you hoping to achieve with having some input and with the modernization of the Veterinarians Act? Because I think this is all very exciting. So I would just love to hear what you're saying about it. Yeah. So our collaboration with the CBO has been to look at the risk. We start from the risk level, really, when you're talking about regulation. So what are the acts that are being performed when it comes to veterinary medicine? What are we doing with our clients and our patients and how are we supporting them? There's advanced medicine, there's specialty medicine, and then there's creating a relationship, the veterinary client-patient relationship. And where does that work with the team? And at what part does the team support? And how does delegation work? And we've talked about all those things. And we're looking at the risks associated with veterinary medicine. And we're looking at the professionals that are already performing it. And I think one thing that the OAVT has done a really great job of doing is opening the conversation to make sure that folks understand that we are trained in some of these advanced levels of care and not only trained, but we are accountable and we're ready to perform them responsibly. Um, We do have higher education. We do complete professionalism and ethics. We do do criminal records check. And that makes us really valuable to a veterinarian. And I think that what the OABT is hoping to see is that if the Veterinarians Act were to be modernized to reflect that it's not just the veterinarians that are performing these acts of medicine, but there are through delegation, acts of medicine being performed by veterinary technicians, registered veterinary technicians that have that breadth and scope, it now can protect the public further because we're already working in that sphere now, Uh, not with the recognition of of the name or the title or acknowledging that. Right now, the word auxiliary is pretty broad. It could be anywhere. But because of that, it doesn't also narrow the fact that the risks to delegating to someone who is not educated are higher. And we're saying, you know, if you acknowledge that RVTs are in this scope of practice, equipped and proficient and skilled at this select list of tasks, your risk is mitigated. We're mitigating your risk in a legal framework of the VET Act to say this would be a great tool or great resource for the care team. We also think that once it's built in that, it gives practitioners that opportunity to feel safer in the Mm. acts of delegation. And I think that's a big, that's just a big cultural discussion. Like, why are we not seeing that delegation now? Is it a, is it a concern? Is it a risk? Is it a safety? Is it, what, what is it that blocks that delegation from happening? Yeah. And I want to definitely get to that for sure. But, you know, let's say you're able to achieve your wish list for this modernization. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? Let's say it's five years from now because things happen glacially uh, (laughs) through uh, government law changes. And so we just sort of have to get used to that. But, you know, in in your ideal world, what do you see the role of the RVT then in, you know, let's say five, 10 years from now? I believe that in five to 10 years from now with modernization, I believe that the team will be stronger. I believe that the ability to really integrate RVTs into the practice of medicine will then alleviate some of the strain on professionals that are working in this sphere because you don't need to have five people doing the same thing. You can actually have five people doing different things at the same time and you can see more clients, you can have a higher 
gold standard of practice in your in your profession if you acknowledge and respect the different skill sets that everybody's trained in. I think that there could be growth for that if we see these changes now. Do you have examples like what procedures would you do in five years that you an RVT would not be doing now? I'm not even sure that it's necessarily about making a new procedure. I think a lot of it is about acknowledging the risks that we already are accepting in practice. Okay, from an education standpoint, let me take off that hat for one second, put on my educator hat. When I look at the list of essential competencies of what it takes to achieve a veterinary dentition diploma, it's it's really extensive. I'm very sure that there's a there's a gap in understanding on how extensive it is. I can right now tell you that we train our students to take radiographs, we train them to take blood, we train them to evaluate the quality of the radiograph, not to diagnose it, but evaluate the quality to understand if they need to do it again. We train them to be able to have a cursory understanding and the interpretation of what the blood work could mean so that they are prepared to support their caseload. We can work with uh, pharmaceuticals to understand and even propose anesthetic concoctions and induce anesthesiology. We can maintain anesthetics. We can recover. We can place catheters, ET tubes. We are involved in CPR. We're involved in advanced uh, rehabilitation. We've got folks out there that are working specialty in emergency and critical care. We've got folks out there that are practicing in the laboratory sector and specializing in lab animals and advancing science that way, caring for large, large colonies of, of animals. And I don't think any of that at all is being recognized in the current Vet Act. And what's more is I'm not sure that people really appreciate that we are taking on that accountability now through our own private members bill act and where we are engaged in continuing to do that. We are engaged in continuing to have that happen. We want to be able to continue to do it kind of like the team medicine that you would see in, in, in human medicine. You know, I look at that and I know, and I go back to experiences and I remember one of the really clear moment in my life when I was volunteering at the Pan Am Games in 1999 in Winnipeg. My wife and I were, at the time, she was my girlfriend. We had met in vet school. And so we were there and we were billeting with a, a companion animal vet. And when we visited his practice, he was a one vet practice, but he utilized his technicians so well that he was able to do so much in one day. And the, the way he empowered his technicians to be so involved with procedures, and it was just like, this makes sense. This is brilliant, but yet we don't see it very often. And that's 25 years ago. Yeah. 22 years ago. And so what is it right now about vet practice owners or veterinarians in general? Is it an education gap? Is it just the culture, just the way it's always been? How do we get practice owners and veterinarians to realize that the value of RVTs and the enhanced role you can offer now? Mm Mm-hmm. I think about this a lot. So, I mean, everything I'm saying is, I guess right now, it's it's my impression over the years of being at different tables and different conversations and just trying to figure it out. I think at the root of it, veterinarians deeply care about their patients. They just deeply do. And they hold a lot of accountability. And my biggest question is, and that I can't answer is, is the act of delegation somehow concerning on their accountability? Are they worried about an extension of accountability? In the current model, I can kind of see maybe why. Because 
we are not listed in the VET Act. We're an auxiliary. So, but as an auxiliary, you could be delegating to anyone. Mm-hmm. What we're saying is that once you put RVTs in the VET Act, you're no longer delegating to anyone. It right. is a recognized professional standard that you're acknowledging. And then there's the flip. Just at the base, let's just talk about money. So even if it's not a, a quality of mental health and, and accountability piece, we had a study done recently, and I'm not even sure how many people have had a chance to see it, but each RVT, and let's be really clear here, one veterinarian could actually have two or more registered technicians working for them. Each individual RVT was able to appreciate a revenue increase of $78,000 per RVT. Mm -hmm. So if you had one veterinarian with two RVTs and they were fully utilizing them and delegating down to them to their full potential, the revenues go up. And in my mind, the stress level could come down as could the quality of life increase because it's not one person carrying the load and trying to find stop gaps. It's a team of folks addressing medicine for the common good of the animal. Yeah. You know, with Oculus, we visit a lot of practices and the one area that strikes me, and this is not an Ontario issue. This is global pretty well is just the hesitancy to use LVTs or RVTs to their fullest abilities. And so I think a lot of it is just cultural. This is just the way we've always done it. And it perpetuates because this is the way when veterinarians or externs or students, before they go to vet school, they've seen already how technicians are being utilized. Uh, and they think, just think that's the, the way it always has. I totally agree with you. When you see the practices that are able to delegate, uh, to train their RVTs well, oh man, they can do so much more. And you're right. The pressure and the stress goes down on the vets considerably. And the RVTs are much more fulfilled in their roles because they're using their training. So I love that you said that too, because I think that the lack of delegation perpetuates this vicious cycle and it'll be a short-term career for technicians. That's what it'll start out as. It'll start as there's some kind of disenfranchisement that happens at the clinic level. There's a miscommunication or there's a feeling of underappreciated. And then the veterinarian stress is going up because they're waiting for somehow this technician to just solve a problem. Technicians like, well, you're not giving me enough ability to do what I can actually do for you. And so you're asking me to solve a problem with restrictions and then they leave. And so then we're like, well, I can't find an RBT. And my first question is, what does your job look like? Mm. Not not just money, not just what you're paying them, because we also have evidence in our study that if you pay them well, they bring in even more money. <laughs> but let's just talk about uh, job satisfaction. If they've just spent two years in a diploma, really intense, going through our essential competencies, extremely confident now in this higher level group of skills, and they're getting paid the same or less as if they were working at a bar in the community village, you're underserving your profession. You just cannot get away with it anymore. It's not okay. And it disrespects the profession and undervalues it. So if you want to have an RBT of value, treat them as they're valued. And -hmm. you're going to see that adopt itself into a change of conversation. And then on top of it, I think that it takes maybe a relationship with one vet and one RVT to really be a turning point for both. An RVT needs to work with a vet that invests in them and then they'll realize, okay, it's good. I can do this. My profession is going to take me somewhere. And it takes one vet to work with one RVT be like, look what that person did for me. You're right. You know what? I feel it now. But until we have these catalyst relationships that really trigger the conversations, it's really hard 
to take my experience and then your experience and tell everybody else you can have it too. <laughs> they yeah. don't hear they don't hear it. Well, you know, the flip side is we started the conversation talking about what can vet practice owners, veterinarians do. What can RVTs do when they're working in a practice to sort of say, hey, look at me. I could do this. I could probably <laughs> yeah. do it better than you, but look at me. <laughs> I have had so many rewarding relationships and some of the best ones I have really early in my career, which is probably why I, I've stayed so invested in my profession the way it has, but walking into a clinic and working with a veterinarian who I know they could place a catheter. Could they do it as fast as I could? No. Could mm. they do it maybe as reliably as I could? Not every day, but they trusted me to do it and it was done fast and it was done reliable and everybody moved on and it was great. It empowered me to continue growing in my own profession. And I think that that's the piece that we're missing. And all that said, I'm not at all trying to say that veterinarians are doing something wrong. I think that they're doing the very, very best they can, either in a diploma program for technology or a degree program for veterinarians. We don't train people how to manage human resources. And this is a human resource conversation. This is Absolutely. what we're talking about. So yeah. we're really, you know, unless you're you're in a team where you've got a, an HR team that's prepared to look at this pragmatically and line up the professions, we're missing that. <laughs> it's funny you bring that up because, you know, one of the things we really focus on at Oculus is taking care of your staff. Honestly, number crunching is the easy part of of management, managing people, dealing with people, allowing people to, to maximize their potential. That's hard. Yeah. And there was an interesting article that I picked up last week. I'll put it in the show notes for the podcast notes from HBR, Harvard Business Review, I think, pretty sure it was. But anyway, they're talking about there's a gap that physicians, and it was in the medical field, but I think it was very applicable to the veterinary field, is that physicians are trained about empathy and they're trained about how you work with the team. But when you actually get onto clinical rotations, all that training goes out the window and there's a lack of empathy and there's a lack of trust with technicians. And this is where I think it becomes self-perpetuating. I have seen that. I saw that when I went to OVC. Mm -hmm. Some clinicians were outstanding in how they utilize and worked well with their RVTs. Others were like, wow, are we even in the same profession? How dismissive you are. And that certainly is the influence because a young, impressionable student looks at it and goes, I guess that's the way it's supposed to be. And depending mm -hmm. on who you've had, it's going to frame you or it's going to influence how you move forward. So it is a complex problem for sure. It is. And, and speaking, at, you know, just even at the education level, I know that in veterinary technician programs, we do talk about delegation and we talk about responsibilities and accountabilities and veterinarians teach in all of these programs. Mm -hmm. I also know the flip is true and that technicians are teaching in veterinary programs. And I find it really incredible that veterinarians would be going through school and they would be working side by side with an RVT that's probably leading that lab or that round or that, <laughs> that internship in that department. You probably have some really strong RVTs right there showing mm -hmm. you, the vet, how to do it and that you still... I'm not sure what their role could be for you for your career. You yeah. know, it's as if they, they somehow block it out like <laughs> when they leave. I, I don't know. I worked as a, as a student uh, one summer at OVC, and that was sort of like that. Oh, the light shines brightly on like we cannot get by without great RVTs helping us. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't happen. And their skill set and what I appreciated, what, and I don't think many get it at the time, but we're, we're all young then, is 
RVTs spend more time with the patients. They understand the ups and downs of the care. Clinicians come in a couple of times a day. They look at it. We're talking about a hospitalized patient, of course, but the RVTs know it. They can just look at the dog or cat or whatever and go, something's not right. That was amazing. It's so funny you say that. That's exactly, so when I was in high school, this is eons ago, but when I was in high school, I was preparing to go to university to be a veterinarian. That was my goal. So my education at that point and my grades and all of my applications were headed towards university to be a veterinarian. It wasn't until I was going into practices to go as a co-op student and then as a volunteer to try to understand the industry more as I was applying that I understood that that isn't actually what I wanted at all. Mm. I didn't want the clinician side. I actually, for exactly the reasons you wanted, I wanted to be there on the nursing aspect saying, okay, well, I've got this patient. They're not eating very well. The clinician, as much as they would have maybe wanted to get this patient to eat, they couldn't do it. I could sit there, warm it up and give it on my finger and, and, you know, soothe and, and try to move them past it. And I think that there's a lot of value in what you just said and veterinarians hearing us. It's not that we're failed veterinarians. We don't, we came to this profession with, with a dedication. It was a choice. And to respect the fact that there's a role that we play that is so necessary in a clinical practice, hospitalized or not, the roles that we play are meant to support that clinical mind, that clinical approach, the diagnostic algorithm. We're there at the pieces in between so that you can get through your triage and Mm -hmm. your treatment plan. And we can alert you when your treatment plan is going off the rails be like, Hey, this happened. I did what you said. And then this came around. I think you need to be aware of boom, boom, boom. And you're like, great. Thanks for flagging it. You know what? I'm going to change myself. I'm going to go this way. Now I'm going to have to do another plan. And without that back and forth and the trust and the relationship, you're right. The veterinarians now relying on themselves to do all of it. And they might be missing some of that piece of, of that relationship from that, that nursing component that the technicians come for. That's why we're there. I find in practice that one of the integral roles of our technicians is client communication because the vets will come in and we're focused on, you know, the diagnosis or the treatments. And it's like, we want to do this, 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 and that. And then we leave. And then the RVT is there because the client's looking confused and go, let me translate for you. And Mm -hmm. it it almost becomes, it it helps solidify the relationship with the owner and the pet. Mm -hmm. Because if you've got a good team, a great RVT sort of anticipates what the veterinarians wants and thinks. And is often much, I hate to say it, but is much more empathetic and is able to communicate often better to the owners, you know, what's going on. It's a two-way translation. I've used that and in my own courses when I teach is that I, I feel like uh, my role as an RVT would be to translate what the veterinarian is trying to get across in an owner's dialect and then to take the owner's feedback and translate it up to the veterinarian yep. so that they can deploy it in their own plans. And I value the veterinarian's approach to algorithmic diagnostics. And I value it in a way because I don't want to do it. I think that that is absolutely perfect for them to do it. And I value being able to then understand what you've said to me and then translate it back to the owner because yep. you're right. And the owner might might need to call back two, three times. The veterinarian is not able necessarily to get on the phone two, three times and explain it again, but the owner might've been too overwhelmed. They might still have questions and even client communication on that, that continued and ongoing relationship is so important. Yeah. So important. 
So uh, as we said earlier, we're still struggling through this pandemic as we're recording this. The Omicron wave is just flourishing, unfortunately. And we all know that throughout the pandemic, it's been a real mixed bag of on one side, business-wise, the profession has done well. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, with them, the, the, the level of burnout is just sky high. Mm-hmm. There was a recent AVMA article based on AHA findings that RVTs are leaving the profession at a higher rate than uh, their human counterparts, registered nurses. DVMs are leaving at a higher rate than human physicians. Mm-hmm. And with that same survey or a same article, they talk about that we're not necessarily seeing that many more pets, but our workflow is so disrupted and we're far less productive. I think the rate was like 20% less productive in the pandemic. So from your perspective, uh, from the OAVT uh, perspective, what do you think are the biggest factors leading to the burnout of RVTs during this pandemic? I actually think that both professions were facing burnout and fatigue before the pandemic. We already were under capacity for the teams. And I think that different associations, different medical groups, whether it was the veterinarian side or the technician side, have looked at this for years. I remember this being a conversation. And actually, I remember starting as as large animal veterinarians and and a predicted shortage. And that was, I mean, Jesus, those those numbers were circa 2007, I think, that Mm -hmm. I first started hearing that. Like, we, we know that we were under capacity. I think that that leads us to the next stage of the problem, which is that people are invested as a, as a calling. I haven't really ever met a single veterinarian or a technician that did not come to this profession because they didn't want to serve. Mm-hmm. I think that when people have a service mind, I think it makes it very hard for them to set really healthy boundaries for themselves, for the balance to take care of themselves and not just their clients and their patients. I think that you combine a low capacity with a need to serve, and then you add in that any sort of approach to treatments that we had in place were completely tossed out the window with the pandemic, meaning that appointments needed to take longer. There was less connectivity, which meant that owners now were feeling less connectivity, which potentially meant that owners are being a lot more short-tempered because we're going to add in that flavor of stress level on the owner. When an owner comes in and they don't understand what's happening with their animal, they feel blind to trust that whatever comes out of your practice is going to be the solution to fixing or healing something that is very important to them. And they can't communicate that to you or necessarily understand what's happening. I think that in emotionally intense moments like that can be explosive. And I think that it's You know, you've got these givers, these healers Mm -hmm. that are trying to be there and they're giving more than what they had in time. And then they're feeling very attacked from folks that are also desperately emotionally tried. And now it's a breaking point. And I think for the safety of some of these professionals, they're leaving to be safe themselves Mm. because I don't think it's, it's a sustainable model. No, and I think the other problem is, is that it's not like you can leave work no. and be replenished. That's not happening right now. And I think what's what's more is I don't think anybody even wants to. I mean, even when you're talking to a colleague and you're like, you need to have a lunch. 
you need to, to don't answer that phone. Like go and go to the bathroom, go for a walk, take a break, leave the building. They can't. They're mm-hmm. afraid of leaving their team. They're afraid of leaving the clients. They're afraid of leaving the case. They're carrying it all. I wonder how if we can reframe the culture to understand that you're not alone, not anyone, there is a team and to reframe the culture to understand that boundaries are not giving up boundaries are not letting go. It doesn't indicate a lack of commitment to have a boundary at all. Mm-hmm. What it does do is give you time to be better at your role when you are there, because you'll be there completely and you're not tired and burnt and out. That doesn't solve our capacity. That's a different, more complicated scenario. But I do think that with improved modernization, the capacity will be slightly improved. And then we still need to retain professionals based on their quality of life and and making careers that are rewarding both intrinsically. And, you know, this is my value for as a healer, but also rewarding financially. People need to have a career. They need to be able to have at least just one, maybe one job would afford them a car to get to and from work, food, family, kids, like, (laughs) you know, well, one of the things we tell everybody at our practice, one of the things that what we tried to do when we started the practice when we were students and doing our internships is we realized, and this is, I don't think a lot of it has changed now in a lot of practices is that unless they had a partner that had a quote unquote real job, they didn't really make that much money, especially based on their education. And so you have people that are highly trained who give so much as you're right, they're givers. Yeah. And at the end of it, they get a paycheck that doesn't reflect their value. It doesn't. And so even just, so for me to pull out of the emotional part there for a second and just pull out on the money of it, the first figure I shared was 78,000 per RVT. I don't know a single RVT working in a practice making $78,000 a year. That's what they bring into the practice. What, what would be the issue if you had two RVTs per vet and each RVT can make a $50,000 a year job? That's still $28,000. Let me be even more <laughs> advanced in my in my methodology here. That same study that we did with Acer through the OAVT, they looked at salary. If you were to pay an RVT a mere, and I say mere because I still don't think this is an adequate salary, $21 an hour. So $21 an hour, that's that's okay. It's not bad. I mean, still you could work in retail and get more than $21 an hour if you're in the right market. But if you did, that DVMs the potential revenue per veterinarian per year went up to $122,000. And that was because that RVT was getting paid 21 an hour. Mm-hmm. If you drop it down to 15, that money goes down too. Like yeah. they they are not invested. They can't be. They probably have competing responsibilities because they'll need more than one job just to pay their bills. If you give them a value career, you pay them in order to be able to give you their time, they will give it you and more. Absolutely. But if you if you make them go out and get two, three jobs to cover their life, no, no wonder they can't stay. As I'm spending more and more time working at vet practices, I think one of the biggest disservices that have happened to the vet profession, I'm talking about veterinary leaders, managers, is, you know, over years, there have been these benchmarks of your HR should be this percentage of your revenue. And that becomes this like this gospel of, I can't go above it. And so instead of thinking as a business leader of like, well, what is the value of this role of an RVT? 
And that dollar value of 78,000 is brilliant to say, you know what, I've got a lot of room to play. This is a well-trained person. I can pay more, but we're just fixated on this limit. And you can have this great RVT and they're like, I want to have 22 an hour. And you're like going back doing the calculations. And I say, oh, that'll bring me a half a percentage of point beyond where I should be. Uh, that can't be. And I was like, no, 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 no. We've got to yeah. look at the value and, and how much better it'll be for everybody. Well, and so if you want to talk about it on a dollar value, I would say make sure that when you're performing those calculations, the revenue that that person would bring back into your practice, that's the revenue you're using. Don't use your current revenue and then take that Add yeah. a higher salary and expect that to work. No, no, no. Project, project yeah, exactly. forward. Yeah. And then, in addition to that, how much do you value your time? How much do you value your quality of life? As a DVM and a practice manager, I would think that that value should factor in. It's not mm-hmm. a financial matter necessarily, as it is. Can you go home at four o'clock when you said you would? Exactly. Because you know you've got team members, RBTs trained ready to stay and they've covered you this mm-hmm. base is covered what's that worth is yeah. that not worth 22 an hour 25 an hour 30 an hour a career yeah. for someone who will stay with you we're loyal to the death we stay here forever we come here to help if we feel the value we're not going anywhere absolutely <laughs> and i look at this as we do have a veterinary shortage and Recent research, uh, I think the Globe and Mail came out sometime over the summer and said, the shortage of veterinarians in Canada is going to last till 2040. That's 19 years. That's a long time. To me, like the most obvious way to alleviate that pinch is to use RVTs more Mm -hmm. because there's so much more you can do. Mm -hmm. And and then it's not that factor so much of, oh, I need to have a vet. No, you can get a couple of RVTs, as you just said, and your practice will do better uh, financially, professionally happiness, satisfaction. Do you have other tips for your members of how to alleviate some of the stresses? Because some things are beyond our control right now. Yeah. Yeah. And and some things are within our control. So uh, any other suggestions for them? Because that to me is one of the the biggest uh, casualties right now is how we churn through people. And and it's it's really not good. Yeah. I feel like Everyone needs to deeply understand that we're all at a wall. I think that it's very easy to point a finger of judgment or uh, think that somehow you're more challenged than someone around you or working harder. And I think that that lashing out is a human reaction, but I don't think it's going to serve us here. I think Mm -hmm. that it, it would actually be better to, you know, if you feel that, okay, move past that feeling and move into the next one. It's like, well, if you feel that, what does your team feel? If that's how you're feeling, they must be feeling that too. And I think if we can come to each other and and lean in to each other a little bit more, instead of trying to be competitive with one another with inside the same work environment and try to, might be one place to do it. I would encourage folks to, again, reevaluate their boundaries. And as far as the utilization piece, I would really love to know that there's some practices that would, you know, hear this podcast, sit down and have a meeting and say, okay, Tex, what is it that you think that you could do here that I'm doing and I shouldn't? Mm-hmm. You know, 25% of respondents in this survey said that vets were performing technician skills. 25%, mm-hmm. a quarter of them. Why, guys? Why do it? Like, it, you don't need to. Your, your professionals are there. And if we have a, a more 
methodical and open and transparent conversation about, okay, so if this comes in and this needs to happen, this goes over to these people. And if this Absolutely. comes in and this needs to happen, this goes over to these people. And, and just to have a, have an opportunity to have that conversation. I know it feels like, you know, planning ahead while you're treading water doesn't seem to make sense, but I think in this case it might, it you really might. You have to. <laughs> Otherwise you're just going to be treading water and, and drowning where you are. So you, you've got to think of other ideas though. Yeah, you've got to. I've seen some really great on uh, social media. I do see some practices that are taking time to invest in each other. They're taking, they're closing for an afternoon. Mm -hmm. They're letting their clients know in advance, which is responsible and ethical and moral, but it's also important to build with each other, to come back to each other and realize what you appreciate about each other and, and rest with each other a little bit <laughs> and, and then have these conversations. Yeah, that's one of the things we've been recommending clients, uh, you know, veterinary practices. Number one, stop taking new clients. Take care of your existing clients, which you know, to us also, you know, I mean, your first client is your staff. Take care of them first. And then number two is don't be afraid to fire some clients because there are some miserable clients and we are just so happy to keep them. And I think if they're the kind of people that when the day begins, everybody's just groaning, like this is going to be a horrible experience. This is going to keep me awake at night, you know, worrying about this a client, those clients, I think, have to go because mm -hmm. if we can't take care of our staff, our RVTs, any other members of our support team, we don't really have much of a foundation. I think what you said is really, yeah, that hits me somewhere because I, I do think that as technicians, being that client communication bridge, that translator necessarily between the, the medical and, and the client, they do get the brunt of some of this abuse. And I don't think it's okay for any practice to allow that to happen. No. I think that needs to be addressed immediately. It needs to be addressed head on and it needs to be addressed with conviction and boundaries. And if clients are not prepared to toe that line, I think you're right. I don't, I don't know what the value is because you should be valuing your team more Absolutely. than your client at that point. And the worst thing is that some of these clients are so sweet to the vets and the vets are like, what? They're fine. And I was like, oh, no, no, this is not a good human being sometimes. Hmm. Oh, that's sad to hear. But but we feel so bad for the animals and it's hard for us because we're like, oh, the owner is a horrible human being, but oh, who's going to take care of the pets? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I don't think that there's any reason why we should we should be passively allowing abuse to happen no. to anyone in our team. Exactly. It doesn't it doesn't matter the case. And and if the owner is is prepared to do better, then the practice can be prepared to keep them. But exactly. if, if you can't tolerate abuse, period. No, There's going to be sure. a, a full stop somewhere. Exactly. We have covered a lot and we've been talking a long time. What did I not bring up that I should have? What should we be talking about? <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't know. Uh, we covered so much. Um, it's been really great having a conversation with you. It's been nice. I always love talking about the industry. I love talking about growth in the industry. And this, is, this has been really great. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. And uh, good luck with the initiative that the OAVT is doing, working with the College of Veterinarians Ontario to have your input on the modernization of the Veterinary Act. I think this is uh, critical. And I think as this profession is changing so much, there needs to be sort of a, a blend. So mm -hmm. wonderful. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm really excited to see you see what happens in the next five years or so. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks.
Thank you for listening to Hire the Smile, brought to you by Oculus Insights. Our goal at Oculus is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success. This episode was produced and edited by Heather McPherson. Special thanks to Alyssa Rubenstein for doing the amazing marketing that she does for Oculus. You can see what we are up to by checking us out on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and our website, oculusinsights.net. If you think you could use a business advisor or performance coach, go to advicebyoculus.com. See you next time.